Are these values from a magnetic or a mass spectrometer? Duh. Which means magnetic. I know what duh means. Can we just irradiate your entire personality? Calibrating for a cosmic background radiation? I was just going to ask you to, you to do, do that. that. Duh. Your relationship isn't very professional. It's how we work. I've been trying to raise the bar. Dysfunction aside, you all make a pretty good team. Dysfunction is the team. We've just accepted it. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Garnick, and with me on the Voyager, J.R. Bill Boywad. Adam Bowen. Emily Bowen-Marler. And Rudy Baker. Strange New Takes is a Star Trek-themed podcast that's supposed to be covering strange new worlds, but uh, with so much new Trek already, we are very excited to jump in a little early, right? In our homes, most of us, so... I'm jumping. Um, <laughs> 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 and early. Uh, and today we're super excited to bring you our strange new takes for the latest episode of star trek discovery die trying but before we get there we want to encourage you to follow us on social media at strange new takes on instagram twitter and facebook also make sure to tell your friends to listen to us we super love getting strange new listeners from all over the world and your recommendations are the best way for us to find those new people also, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. I read those out on this podcast when they arrive. Your rating will help us appear higher when someone searches for a Star Trek podcast. So please go ahead and do that if you can. Thanks. And just as a heads up, this podcast and literally all of our podcasts include spoilers for this episode and most likely every other episode of Star Trek because we'll talk about all of them in every episode. Um, so if you haven't had the chance to watch Die Trying or if you haven't listened to Rapper 50 Cent's acclaimed debut album, Get Rich or Die Trying, this is why I should read the things I'm supposed to read ahead of time. <laughs> and don't want to be spoiled, feel free to hold off on this episode until you get a chance to watch it. If you don't care, just jump on in. I mean, who was it? Okay, y'all weren't because we talked about this already. But I was like <laughs> all 45 minutes of this episode. I was just like, this is a 50 cent. Like, he's got to make a cameo. He's got to come in there at some point. And uh, <laughs> then I was like, maybe I can make this podcast all about 50 cent references. <laughs> and I was like, I know just like two of them. Like that one, the album name. And then In the Club. Something about birthdays, but like, <laughs> I think I think he should be go, he should be it. the um the same species that Neelix is. <laughs> hey, they, they, I think that they would are be, part of Federation now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like I'm reading the names of this the the this, the tracks on this album, and you know we could use some of them. Like, what up, gangsta? Could be like what Saru <laughs> said to the admiral when they showed up. <laughs> It all makes sense now when you lay it out this way, Notch. Right. Uh, there's another track called 21 Questions, which is what they asked the Admiral when they showed up. Um, it would be great if like the writers just took this album track list and went down it to like write an episode. I really want them to do that now. Anyway, I do have an actual Star Trek-related side note uh, from watching The Mandalorian this week, if you haven't. I'm going to try to keep this spoiler-free, so uh, don't worry about that. 
Titus Welliver, who played Maxwell Burke in Equinox, the Voyager two-parter. Do you all remember who Burke is? He's he's the guy in the Command Red uniform who's like enabling Captain Ransom's uh, worst stuff. I can't remember. Was he their first officer? I, I can't remember now. But anyway, Welliver played Burke. He has a major role as an Imperial officer in um, in the Mandalorian this week, which is super cool. Another actor who's crossed the bridge between. Um, the Mandalorian and oh, not the Mandalorian, Star Wars and Star Trek. Do you all have other actors you all know who've done that? I, sorry, you know what? Now I realize that he, I was recognizing him from Lost. Correct. Titus yep. Welliver. He was the Black Smoke Monster in Lost. But anyway, mm. I forgot Wait, that spoilers. He was the jeez. Oh. <laughs> what do you mean? He was the smoke monster. <laughs> what smoke monster? <laughs> but I was watching it, and I, but now I remember him being in in Voyager too. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. There, uh, there have been a few others who have appeared in uh, in both. But uh, maybe next week or at some point we can discuss uh, the, the those folks. But anyway, the Uber Eats commercial. Yeah, there's a crossover oh, with, with, <laughs> with Mark Hamill and Patrick Stewart. Right. Uh, Simon Pegg is a is a actor who's appeared in both and uh, uh, uh greg grunberg is in anything that jj abrams touches so right. Yep. Right. Yeah. he's been in both brian george who's also in the orville is uh is in in the orville's first episode is in both oh. but uh anyway we could go on and on about this but uh let's 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 keep moving on and talking about uh die trying um which is you know the 21 track album by 50 cent and here's the summary of that album <laughs> after reuniting with what remains of starfleet in the federation the uss discovery and its crew are shot seven times and then come back to join dr dre and eminem to make a great album 930 years in the future <laughs> seriously y'all i i could do this like all like for the next hour and I'm not going to. I promise I'm not going to. Okay. After uniting with, with what remains of Starfleet and the Federation, the USS Discovery and its crew must prove that a 930-year-old crew and starship are exactly what this new future needs. Also, there's some stuff about seeds. Uh, your strange new takes. Who wants to go first? Okay, I can go first. <clears throat> uh, okay, my strange new take is, you know, this has just been so great. You know, I love Saru and I love Doug Jones and I'm just so impressed with the way his character has developed and, you know, with all the, uh, like body acting and all the makeup and everything, it seems really hard. And I just don't, the, the makeup is, um, so impressive and, you know, I, how he, how he balances his time while also being the junior Senator from Alabama. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, you know, and it looks, and now he just, you know, Saru became captain and, and Doug Jones, you know, is looking like he might be the next attorney general. So, uh, you know, just makes me feel very inadequate. Um, it's also very slimming, the makeup that they, yeah, yeah. you know, use with him. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, so I seriously, I think, you know, it's, it's probably self-evident that you know, Saru is the first non-human captain that we've had. Um, and, you know, writers have chosen not to do that in the past, I think, for various reasons. But I think in, in this case, it works so well because Doug Jones and, and Saru, the character Saru, are like so human. 
right? So he doesn't have this, you know, data or Spock thing where there's some hang up and he's supposed to be like a reflection of humanity. He's just like a, a superhuman character. And I'm, I'm loving it. <clears throat> That's great. That's great. I'll go next. I think our world would be a better place if um, fluorescent blue or fluorescent orange were the default highlighter color instead of fluorescent yellow. And it's really a tragedy for all of us that that is not the case. Mm. But uh, moving on to Star Trek, I needed this episode so bad. It's so good. And I, I it just, there was great writing. There was great lines. There was just but so much to geek out about. And this was, I think, a great, like, Mac, um, I was going to say mishmash, but that makes it sound bad. A great mix of putting in some fan service elements into the show and like expanding the world while not losing the complexity of it and and having it cheapen the experience. So um, I was very much there for it. And and when the when the Discovery crew like were lighting up and about all the stuff that they were picking up on their sensors, like that that was me. And there were other moments in this episode where I feel like the characters and I really were on the same emotional level, which I don't know if I've ever had with Discovery before. Cool. Uh, I, I think maybe I'll jump in with my uh, strange new take because it is uh, the opposite of your strange new take. Uh, <laughs> but first, I need to have something that is uh, related to the real world, which is... Uh, uh, I so I I just got uh, a new iPhone 12 mini and it's the first time that I've ever noticed the camera actually being better than my previous phone like most uh, all phone like the, all the videos that they have when they unveil the phone are like now there's seven cameras and they're <laughs> half the size of your phone and you can take a picture in your bathroom at night and it's going to look amazing but uh, I took some really great pictures of my chickens and uh, yeah Dragonette is uh, up here on my lock screen, and she's a very good girl. So, yeah. <laughs> but as for the episode, uh, I think that, uh, yeah, this is going to be the season of episodes where Culber is clearly the correct character to talk to somebody, but instead Culber <laughs> needs to tell Michael Burnham why she is actually the character and yes! needs to explain something to somebody. And I'm a, I'm a little bit sick of that as of this episode, uh, yes! especially. So, Lead yeah. from behind. Yeah. Uh... So that's, that's my strange new take. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll go next. Um, for my random strange new take, um, been watching a few shows on uh, human space flight recently. Um, there's a nice one on Netflix um, on the Challenger disaster. Sobering but really good um, deep dive. There's another one called Right Stuff on Disney uh, through Nat Geo about the Mercury 7 astronauts. And there's a third that I was watching on Apple TV plus called For All Ma Mankind. And if any of you like revisionist history, it's a really funky one where um, the Soviets land on the moon first, and then it's from that point onwards. But the thing that I found funny was for a couple of those shows, The Right Stuff and For All Mankind, you had the same guy playing NASA flight director, and I was so confused, and the show was running... In parallel, I'm like, how are you doing this? So the guy's name is Eric Layden or Laden. Um, 
And then I figured that he was actually playing different characters because Mercury 7 is, is slightly earlier in the time frame. So it's Gene, sorry, it's Chris Craft, the flight director. And then for All Mankind, which is Gene the Apollo. Uh, yeah, it's Gene Kranz. So, but he's, he's, he's got the exact same like flight director vest and all of that. And he's, <laughs> he's, he's managing those roles at the same time. I wonder what happens if he mixes up his lines or <laughs> some, something like that. Do, uh, do you yeah, think that's all he does? Yeah, he's just I, I'm an actor. I play <laughs> NASA flight, flight directors. directors. That's what, yeah. what I do. Yeah. I'm just always typecast as the NASA flight director. I want to get into like the NASA janitor or anything like that, but they never want to get me in for anything else. Need a role with more meaning. Anyway, so that's my um, general strange new take. All this in prep for the launch this evening, um, the SpaceX uh, yeah. launch. Um, but yeah, going back to this episode. Um, I'll have to side with Notch on this one. I think it had a good mix. I think Notch explained it better than I did, uh, better than I could. But it had a good mix of um, intrigue, um, uh, ambition towards the Federation, and the need to prove oneself. All of that fit in well for me. Uh, and and who doesn't love um, flying rainforests? That's amazing, right? <laughs> if y'all caught that there was a huge ship that was just this rainforest um in the federation Tilly pointed it out yep yep okay i'll go next or i guess i go last i guess i'm the only one left um my strange <laughs> new take is that so i gave birth to my child when i was 40 which you know that puts me like two generations older than him <laughs> which is pretty old but there's something about i've had my birthday this past week and so I turned 43 and he's two. And that just feels like really like a big wide gap, even though I know it's the same age difference that it was before. But I don't know. I was like, wow, I'm so old to have a two year old. But anyway, um, so that's my my real life strange new take. Uh, and my one for the show is I am enjoying how nerdy they all are. That's kind of fun. So I'm I'm like and I mean, I know most Star Trek characters are big nerds, but I think they kind of celebrate it um, in Discovery, and they were definitely celebrating it in this episode. So, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, let, let's with that. Let's jump into talking about the story and writing of this episode. And um, I, I got to start with how, for the second episode in a row, I feel like my expectations of some characters didn't fully pan out, which I'm glad about. I met. Uh, Admiral Vance and uh, Security Officer Villa, and I was like, they're going to be the villains, and we're going to hate them by the end of this episode. It's going to be like that hospital administrator in house who's like trying to shut down this department in the first season or whatever it is, and you just hate the guy for the entire season, and you're like, why do you have this character who just shows up at the end of every episode and is like, you're feeling happy? Well, here I am to make you upset, <laughs> and I didn't want that at all. But instead, what we got was a really nuanced portrayal of two people who are trying to make a, you know, crazy situation make sense in their heads. And I loved it. I, I, the line that really sticks out to me is, what is this sphere data we are accountable for? And I think that really nailed it on the head. We're like, you know, our characters, our heroes are here in this future and we want them to be embraced and taken care of. But on the other side... There's this dude who's had his whole world probably like catch fire and suddenly here comes these like magical people who are talking crazy 
and saying that on top of that, here's this huge problem we had. We decided to unleash it on you. So I I loved it. Every every time he said something and it was against our characters, I was like, I want to hate you for this, but I can't get it, you know? Well, you know, they made it so... Um... I, I had that, like, my initial meeting of them, I was like, oh, gosh, I do not like them. I turned to Travis and said, they're going to be bad, you know? <laughs> like, but then the, when, the scene when they were sitting down, well, I think all of the interrogation scenes were kind of poking fun at some of the stories in this in the series. But the one with um, with just Saru and Burnham and the, um, I forgot his name, but the Admiral. Yeah, Vance. When the three of them were sitting there, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, of course. This is preposterous what they're sharing with him. Of course he's going to be suspicious. And I thought it was really incredible acting on the part of the actor who played Vance and the actor who played Willa. The, their expressions, the difference in their facial expressions from the beginning of the episode to the end was huge. Like, there was a much softer... Uh, both of them had much softer expressions at the end of the episode than they did at the beginning. And so I just thought that like you could even just, just even if you weren't listening to the words they said, just watching how they looked throughout the course of the episode, you could see that they changed in their perception of the Discovery crew. Yeah, and <clears throat> we'll probably get into um, Vance's character later on, but uh, the actor Oded Fair, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. You, you'll you know him from all the Mummy movies and if you've watched a few Resident Evil movies, he's always been the voice of reason that comes in and like helps you get stuff done. But he was, not only was the voice of reason here, I I totally agree with Nach. There's nothing that he said that sounded unreasonable. Um, his, I don't know if we can call her uh, call her his first officer, but the, the, the lady who went with uh, the crew on Discovery Villa, Lieutenant Villa. Lieutenant Is she Villa, like her... security or something? Yeah. 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 She poked <clears throat> a little unnecessary fun, like some joke about an old ship, and I, I don't remember it. But <clears throat> yeah, that, that didn't make sense to me. But yeah, Vance was on point throughout, and I'm good with that. So Willow is played by Vanessa Jackson, who is looks like she started her acting career in 2016. She's had like some uh, smaller roles in X-Men Dark Phoenix and a few other... Um, things but uh this looks like uh I'm, I'm, i hope we get to see more of her um uh go ahead adam yeah so i i, I this is interesting hearing everyone's take on all of this because i i um i was trying to figure out what direction we were going when we uh first met the federation in this episode uh so at least from the perspective of the composer uh everything's totally good we're all fine uh this is amazing it's star trek again guys uh we're back and but i i when we saw a bit of the um the awkward introductions that everyone had and and it was clear that discovery was uh at best a very suspicious and fake sounding ship uh (laughs) and uh that uh i i I wasn't sure if we were going to be taking this in like a is Starfleet bad now uh, and whatnot. Mm. Um, a, a few things that gave me pause during the course of this episode um, were mentions about things like uh, that the Federation and Starfleet now ha- are now having to be like sort of the same entity when they, they used to be completely separate. Uh, mm. And that 
at least brought me back a bit to Battlestar Galactica, uh, where we have a lot of um, mentions about ha- the the need to keep the military and the government separate from each other. And uh, this episode mentions a few times that the military and the government are the same thing now. Uh, and we have our our admiral seems to have a lot more control over things than I might have expected uh, before. I mean, I know we've always had a chain of command. Star Trek episodes have always been, have always been very clear that you follow your orders. Uh, of course, sometimes you don't follow your orders and there's no punishments ever given in Star Trek. So it's always fine anyway. But like the uh i i just i had a lot of points in this episode where i i got unsure about whether these are people we can trust and um so i i think it it gave me an uneasy feeling throughout the episode and um so i i think for me i I had a different perspective which then also made a lot of this not make sense to me uh because Mm -hmm. we we sort of start off with uh like we went from you guys are time criminals and I should probably put you in jail forever uh, all the way to you guys are awesome. I'm going to put you in charge of all sorts of things. You can totally have your ship and do whatever the hell you want with it uh, in the span of like 20 ish minutes. My hear- oh, my God. Siri. <laughs> <laughs> she has issues you- with what you say. No, I, I actually yeah. <laughs> I, I think I understand what you're saying. So from this state of complete distrust to all right, go ahead and, and save the day. Um, also, they, the, Admiral Vance mentioned that the uh, civilian government is now housed um, <clears throat> in the same location. But are, is there like a civilian government? Is he the civilian civilian government? Yeah, is he I, the supreme leader? What what what's going on? Is there another admiral? There should be another admiral. Is he the is he the first contact guy for this ship out of nowhere? Is he like the yeah, so first I, filter? Yeah, we, that, we don't that, know. All, all of those questions are kind of up in the air for me, and uh, like certainly. So that like the head of the Federation or, or rather not the not the Federation, but the head of the, of Starfleet. I don't know if we've called them necessarily like just Admiral before. Um, C and C, the commander in chief. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if if he is the only Admiral or, or what, but. Well, but you got to also think about it this way, which is that in the past, Starfleet was Earth's force. That is no longer true. So who is Starfleet? in allegiance to anymore you know like mm-hmm. i think that's that's another question that um so if they don't have a plan home planet then it makes sense for them to be the basically armed arm that's a horrible phrase don't have <laughs> the rest of your life the armed wing <laughs> so <much better>. nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but anyway um they are the of the Federation, right? Like that, they are the armed group that the Federation turns to to solve its problems or to, or to seek things out. And, but I, I see where that discomfort comes from, and I wonder if that's going to be a plot line. So wait, so Notch would then Vance would he be the head of the armed wing? That's the way it was portrayed, right? More body jokes. We see what you did so, there. So, Adam, I I think that's exactly that that kind of ambiguity and unease was exactly what was intended. I mean, they foreshadow it when they're approaching. They're like, "Man, I hope I'm so excited. I hope this turns out well." Yeah. And mm-hmm. then you get there, and I, I I agree that I think that it was um, pretty rapid to 
be buddies right at the end of this. And I hope going forward that it's not, that there's still some tension there. But I yeah. think what they're trying to do is like, you know, create some conflict, but, but not in a way that um, tarnishes Vance. Like you can see where he's coming yeah, from, yeah. right? He's uptight, but he's uptight for a reason. And, you know, his priorities are in the right place. He's just kind of a jerk. Um, and so I don't, I mean, I, I understand exactly what you're saying, but what you're saying, but I think that was the intent. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, it's what other options do he, does he have? Right. So he's trying to, he's trying to, he needs to save that race. I, I forgot the name. Keely. Um, there is a way to Keely. do it that, sorry, what's that? The Keeley. The Keeley. Yeah. Correct. And there is a way that uh, Burnham has, has given him. Now his two options are to use the same ship or to restaff the crew, and, and that may not go well because nobody's operated the spore drive before, and they, and they need Stamets to operate it. But, so I think he he's he doesn't have a better option, so he, he has to pick the ship, and then he tries to, you know... I, I think that's one way of explaining it, and they're, they're already... I mean, they're in a state of distrust, right? Maybe, yeah. maybe people have scammed them before, right? Um other ships have broken into that whatever that distortion bubble and and they've had a few close calls and the federation may have fallen apart so it's all maybe maybe it's justified well yeah, and, it, and I, I, would, I would ask you all to think about this episode in a way that another group of my writers might have approached it which is that discovery shows up and they're welcomed into the federation as like long lost pals and then they go and save the seed vault and it's just done or they're welcomed in as hostile enemies and Burnham and Suru break out using the discovery like she was suggesting. And so that, that adds a kind of a thing. Both of those are kind of the single dimensional ways to approach that storyline. And I think there was this sense of, and I, I, I do think the fact that we're taking this differently is okay. I think that that mm-hmm. adds to the fun of this experience. And even in the episode, you know, you talked about the Federation and what is that anymore? There was, I forget the lines. Now. I really need to start writing these down better. But at one point, Saru basically says the Federation is its <laughs> ideals, or he implies that. Whereas Burnham seems to suggest that the Federation is its people. It's one living organism. And mm-hmm. this is at the end of the episode. And so I'm kind of curious if that becomes something that is a defining question of this episode. Is the Federation its people or is it its ideals? Um, which one do you need? So, uh, just to keep us keep us moving, because we've got a lot of other opportunities to explore this stuff as well uh, as we as we go through today. Uh, this was a transporter accident episode at its heart, um, and I am disappointed that we didn't combine Nan and Culber into a single character and then have Janeway <laughs> come and like kill that character to you know make a difficult decision and then anyway. in the in the voyager j right right uh she's the emh of the ech of the voyager j uh but uh so so i mean but i i gotta say like despite the fact that this episode's like core source of um not a villain but like problems was such a well-trodden star trek uh trope it still seemed pretty fresh to me. I didn't. I didn't hate it. Well, I think some of that is that they they solved it within like five minutes. They're like, "Oh, it's a transporter accident." Here, let me look up the manual. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna press these couple of buttons and it'll be fine. 
<laughs> which the guy in the accident could not figure out for who knows how long, right? Um, he, well, he I think he, he might have not been able to interact with normal space reliably. So even if he Ooh. knew, I don't I don't know if. Uh, also, he's a botanist, so and and like psychotic. <clears throat> yeah. So right. yeah, th there's many things going against him. <laughs> in this yeah. But I, it's like, it's it's a good point, Adam, and I think it's something we're gonna we saw last week also with the Trill um, homeworld, and I think we'll probably see again because they're you know in this season it seems like they're really trying to um, do the season long story arc, right? But then have these self contained planet of the week episodes yeah. Yeah. right but since they since they're giving over you know half the screen time to the main story arc the planet of the week uh you know story has to get wrapped up pretty quickly and, and mm -hmm. the payoff may not be as good um you know compared to if they devoted a whole episode to it yeah that's that's a fair point um and i and maybe that that's part of the source of uh some of our criticisms of the previous episode is that like this is the format that they've chosen and you kind of you you have to cut something out you can't I, I mean maybe you can have an hour and a half episode every single week but uh it's probably not a great idea <laughs> i'd watch Shot. it all right oh same <laughs> <laughs> they could put it slap the star trek name on like a literal turn and i would watch that <laughs> just a camera flying around it anyway. don't, uh, that's not true, don't listen so. cbs executives yeah yes. <laughs> uh the 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 phasing doctor dr addis was played by jake epstein who is a alumnus of degrassi and designated survivor shout out to actress anna sani for playing mom uh credited as mom she's a canadian actress and i can't find the name of the kids so they're just gonna have to deal with not getting credit in our podcast which i know they're mm. devastated by they are gonna end their acting careers because of that we also had, so y'all talked about how this, you know, the, the, the Planet of the Week plot was kind of compressed. And there was so much in the rest of the, the plot. And there was the interrogator guy, uh, Section 31 aspect of it, that was just randomly thrown in there yeah, and, with Giorgio. And I'm kind of curious why y'all think that was in this episode versus, say, giving it its own, like, A-plot down the line. Like, why this was, like, a C-plot thrown into this much larger episode that had so much in it already. Do you think they're planting seeds for the Section 31 series? I mean, they're, I mean, so I think they're just trying to put them as many places as they can, maybe. Did you yeah, say I, back to a pilot for sure. Yeah. Sorry, uh, sorry. You guys just spoke over each other then. I did not hear what either of you said, Bill. <laughs> I, I think Emily's right. It's a backdoor pilot for sure. Okay. Rudy? I said, I see what you did there by saying planting seeds in a seeds episode, so no value. <laughs> I disagree. There I think go. there's a great deal of value there. I think the only way there could have been more value is if 50 Cent had that as a track on his album. <laughs> Get rich and try, try. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately there wasn't um trying to answer your question though um maybe so yeah planting seeds for other series but maybe they're trying to you know create and close an arc out in the remaining episodes obviously they were trying they they needed an exit point for non here right um which maybe they were you know trying to figure out a way to do it and this is how they came up with it and and maybe the next few episodes have some serious stuff happening with Giorgio. so Lot, lot of stuff happening, but hmm. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, clearly she was very distressed by the news that she received that the her universe hasn't like there mm -hmm. haven't been any connecting points. So there, 
whether or not back. her universe still, you know, exists or whatever. But, um, I mean, she's way disoriented now and not, um, she does not feel sure of her footing anymore. But I also wonder if this is an opportunity to kind of, she's getting kind of predictable, right? Because she's just so wicked. You know, she even mm -hmm. says she's so wicked. But um, it's like you just know that she's going to be the one that's going to come in and do the things that the Starfleet officers aren't going to do to get the situation taken care of. But now they've added an unpredictable element to her. So, yeah, I'm gonna... make her more more vulnerable, uh, which could make her a more interesting character and make her like it. If they're either trying to introduce a um, a kind of like a redemption arc for her, oh. I could see them wanting to make her character a bit more complex before we just say, and then she was just good one day. <laughs> I, I mean, Emily, based on what you just said, though, I'm going to be really disappointed that Section 31 series doesn't have, like, a 930 years ago, a crack empress was sent to a prison by a military court for a crime that she did commit. She promptly escaped to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the Section 31. She survives as a soldier of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire Empress Giorgio, you know? Did you yeah. say a crack empress? Right. <laughs> Now that's from Fifty Cent's album, okay? Like that's that's a track on Get Rich and Night Drive. Um, oh my god! Okay, uh, finally, finally, we got we got to move on from this whole story writing section. But I do want to touch on the fact that there was there is now a musical leitmotif to this season, where the song is being heard by everybody. I'm having Battlestar Galactica flashbacks, and they're not good ones, uh, nope. for me at least. No, they are not. I'm sorry. I did. I hated that Dylan song. Okay, I. It annoyed me. Like whenever they were like, "This music, it's everywhere," and I was like, "Please don't play it again." Uh, it so... didn't help that it was an extremely bad song uh, that they were just playing over and over again. <laughs> yeah. What was it? In the Watchtower or whatever. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so I'm I'm trying very hard not to think about how they did it there. I wanted to get your thoughts uh, and reactions on this whole music is everywhere aspect that's been introduced. Uh, something that I, I wanted to uh, inform the characters of. I, I mean, Saru is certainly aware of it since he uh, knows all about like old Italian painters and whatnot. Uh, but uh, music, it is possible for music to have existed 200 years ago. Uh, and people could have learned songs from each other. So I, I don't know. I don't know that I don't quite buy that. It's like, oh my God, where could this music have come from? Like there was a time before the burn. It wasn't that long ago. We traded music before. Like maybe it's just an old album that we heard and we forgot. Yeah, you're. I, I mean, of, of course. Yeah, it doesn't make sense if you think about it for like half a second. But if we just <laughs> if we just accept the premise, you know. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, I, 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 my gut tells me that it's, it's, I love mysteries like this. You know, I love them. I think it's great. I also love the Giorgio catatonic thing. I think that's, you know, so, so for me, it's really compelling. Um, but my gut tells me that the resolution will be kind of a letdown, but we'll see. Yeah. Hmm. Someone, someone is an angel. That's all we know. <laughs> it, it, it was Michael Burnham all along. Yeah, she has to save them. Yeah, she. Uh, yeah, Michael Burnham went back twist. in time and planted the music <laughs> to save the galaxy. Oh my god! I mean, there was, a discovery writer. The, the, you, you kid, but there was actually speculation on uh, Reddit that that it might have been uh, Burnham's mom, who is also name dropped in this episode. 
who went back and planted the music as some sort of signal to her daughter. So, anyway, there's... I haven't heard a, or read a single theory that I particularly like, so I'm hoping that the writers are smarter than the people on Reddit. Which, you know, frequently Please. they are. <laughs> um, so let's see. But uh, that is something that's coming for us. Something I did in today, this week's notes that is a little different is I moved our memorable moments, like things we loved about this episode, lines we liked, up to the top. Because I feel like by the time we get to the end, we don't like properly acknowledge all the really funny ones. And like this, this one had like some really good stuff. And I got goosebumps when Saru and, and Burnham were like captain number one right at the beginning like who this he's wearing his four pep uniform mm. it was it felt right you know it just it felt good did y'all did y'all have things that y'all uh, really liked in this episode that that stuck with you afterwards i love the little exchange with the engineering crew with mm-hmm. um uh jet reno and stan at Santilli and and um the security will willa it's like, man, you guys are really dysfunctional. And, you know, I, I just thought that was great. <clears throat> yeah. No, that was, that was, uh, it, I feel like if Willa's entire reason for existence is just that dialogue, it was worth it. Like, she's <laughs> is okay as a character. <laughs> well, and did you see, like, Stamets was actually really hurt when, like, the way they did that little, what was it, um, dysfunction is the team. We've just gotten used to it. No, we haven't. Or I can't remember exactly yeah, what yeah, the yeah. what the interplay was. I just put it somewhere and I can't find it. But um, like the look on Stamets' face, he was like, "Oh, like <laughs> I, you know." Anyway, it was just kind of funny. Yeah. Other things that you all uh, enjoyed about this episode. I liked I liked that Jojo was able to dismantle interrogation droids by just blinking. It's got messed up. And- Actually, going back to what you were saying, um, Bill, the way we never really saw how that ended, right? The interrogation. So her coming out as catatonic, in my mind, it was like, who won, right? Did, did, when she broke that, when she broke that, um, the combat, right? Yeah. I was like, is she preparing a weapon to like use on him and, and what happened? So, and then the next thing we see, she's catatonic in the end, so. That is one mystery I'm trying to figure out. Well, and some people on Reddit have now postulated that basically what happened there is Giorgio just showed that the human or the Terran Empire had holograms way before the Prime mm. Universe had holograms because uh, they don't have holograms in Discovery's time. Mm. Um, and so, so the fact that she knew how to turn a hologram off shows that she has some advanced knowledge of something. Mm. Um, I, I, another thing about that inter- whole interrogation sequence, though, where they're going back and forth between the different characters, did anyone else think that that was Discovery's current writing team critiquing all <laughs> the shit that the writer's room has done up to this point? <laughs> and them just being like, look at all this dumb crap that this show put on screen up to this point. <laughs> and I, that's what I, I felt like, you know, like Tilly being like, uh, uh, this is after I got my hair blown out and became a Terran captain slash dominatrix. Like, <laughs> but isn't that the way any Star Trek or a- any show that spans over episodes or book series or whatever, if you try to boil it down to a few things, they're all going to sound that ridiculous. You know? <laughs> True. I mean, like, in the original like series, they... should we even get started? You know, they're like... <laughs> Meet Abraham Lincoln in space. <laughs> yeah. Like literally, that was an episode. Oh. 
Early you know, it kind of, I, I remember mean, that. B- brain, what is brain? Uh, from, it kind of reminded uh, me of the, is it the end credits of Frozen or Frozen 2 where Olaf goes through and tells the whole story? Or he does, no, he does the recap in Frozen 2. With, oh, I don't yeah. know if you all have seen Frozen, but anyway, here's a recap in Frozen 2 of the first movie, and that's what it reminded me of. It's kind of like when you pull all these things out of context, it just makes it really funny. Yeah, my favorite example of one of those is uh, in uh, Thor Ragnarok. There's a, a recap of the previous two m- Thor movies, and it's better than those movies were. So uh, <laughs> you should just watch that movie. Totally. <laughs> uh, I have to also give a shout out to the warmth of this episode and there were two things that i think stick out to me is like saru and burnham starting the episode in front of that same window that they end it in front of uh having Mm -hmm. a chat with each other and of course uh their moments i I loved in this episode and then the time when both of them get get told like captain commander welcome home i just that that's a moment i could live in for years if y'all wanted me to it just felt so good Uh, but of course later Burnham gets asked, does it feel like home to you? And she says, not yet. And so so that, that was kind of an interesting uh, way to cap that off. Um, let's, let's jump into expansion to the world of Trek. Or actually, why don't we take a break here? We've been going for quite a while. So let, let's do that. Take a break for a couple of minutes and we'll come back with expansion to the world of Trek. It was always going to be a one-way trip for the Sphere data and for all of us. And what exactly is this data we're now accountable for? The Sphere is a benevolent life form that merged with Discovery. Its data is a record of everything seen and experienced by this entity and the 100,000 years leading up to our departure. 100,000 years? Well, Discovery's just full of surprises, isn't she? You may be the last Kelpian who still retains biochemical traces of Vahari. And your limbic system's been getting quite a workout, Commander. Are you prone to emotional exaggeration? Our AIs have evolved quite a bit since your day. My primary diagnostic scanners can read anomalies as small as aberrant protein coding in your neurons. So you can't lie to me. That'll be all, Eli. Admiral, if we may, we have a few questions of our own. I bet. Given what you shared of Kaminar, I am curious as to what remains of the rest of the Federation. 38 member worlds that we're aware of. Down from 350 at its peak. There may be others, but since the subspace relays went down, we're having difficulty finding each other. Where we sit now represents not just the headquarters of Starfleet Command, but also the entire civilian government of the United Federation of Planets. And it's been that way since the burn. Sir, if I may ask, regarding the burn... I am not at liberty to discuss intelligence with you yet, Commander. You're not lying to me. But there is nothing in our database to verify a red angel or control. Our intelligence says that Discovery was destroyed in 2258 with no mention of a displacement activated spore drive. So, two truths now exist in one space. That never goes well. Starfleet's operating procedures would have included the erasure of any files related to our vessel to eliminate the possibility of a recurring threat. We came here to ensure that control did not evolve. I can't possibly corroborate that. A quick history lesson. The Federation has spent most of the 30th century fighting a war to uphold the temporal accords. 
an interstellar treaty outlawing time travel to prevent anyone from the past from changing the future and vice versa. Your presence here, by definition, is a crime. Everything we have ever done has been in accordance with the ideals of the Federation, sir. If we hadn't made the jump, all organic life in the universe would have ended and we wouldn't be having this conversation. Admiral. If that's true, then we owe you a debt beyond words. From where I sit and I sit here, trusting you is a risk I cannot take without evidence. The safety and security of whatever's left of the Federation must take priority over everything else. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We're going to talk about the expansion of the world of Trek in this episode of Discovery. And y'all can tell me if there's stuff that you want to talk about more. I'll just keep keep adding these notes that I have here. Uh, Starfleet Command is masking its location in some sort of field of some sort. And uh, I was very nervous when the ship like slowly went through it. I thought that was well-directed part of this episode. Um, the Federation now has 38 members. It had 350 at its height. Compare this to the 150, which was the number we were given, I believe, in TNG. So oh, okay. the Federation has grown mm. significantly. Hmm. Temporal Accords, uh, one of you touched on this earlier, that makes time travel a crime, so Discovery's whole crew are criminals. I think this was a 50 cent reference. Um, <laughs> they also have some uniforms now it's uh, that are a little different than they were before. I think some of them look like they were inspired by Jake Sisko's outfits. I think like some of them were super <laughs> ugly. Aww. Like Willa's uniform looked like something Jake would wear. and I don't know. Some of the uniforms were not attractive. I, who, who had a worse... If you were to, if you were to base an entire uh, uh, Starfleet uniform off of, which, was, which would be worse? Wesley's look or uh, Jake's look? Uh, I I wouldn't mind Jake's those... I wouldn't mind the uniforms, the little sweater with like color band across it. Like those would be cool. I wouldn't mind that. They'd be comfy. Right? Jake just, you know, and I mean, it, they they were also just too revealing. So <laughs> that, yeah, space, space spandex yeah. is not the not the best look for men. Mm-mm. No, no, it's not the best look for women either. It's just not a good look. Like. <laughs> By the way, shout out to the fact that when you search for uniforms on Memory Alpha, the top result is Schlutstaffel uniforms and insignia from the SS. So, because, you know, we've had World War II episodes and there needs to be an entire <laughs> article about those uniforms in here. Uh, but yeah, I, I am on the team. Those were ugly uniforms. Uh, I did not like them. Like, that was great. Just not like... Uh, I wonder if they'll get new ones by the end of it. We had the Orion Andorian Alliance mentioned on this uh, uh, episode again briefly. We saw that in the first episode where they are, they kind of have their own exchanges. So there was mm-hmm. a, some sort of ship approaching. We had the Barzans mentioned. They're now Federation members. One of the things that this episode established about that species is that because they're so poor as a species, they invest more in their families and they have different views of death. But apparently we don't care about those different views of death uh, because we need uh, Michael to explain it to her and to him instead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, uh, this episode established two new, uh, a new planet and a new species, Planet Erna, which is a formerly inhabited industrial seat in the 23rd century, a hub for enrichment of unstable metals 
and some toxicity alarms were being raised by the Federation at the time. And by the 32nd century, it's been deserted for centuries. And this new species, the Kili, uh, which I'm sure has been named after Tilly's Mirror Universe counterpart, Kili's, <laughs> have been uh, stopped there. Refugees stopped there and got infected. Did anyone pick up on the fact that they were triaging them in the corridor? Uh, that line was there. And I, I, was, I had like a little COVID flashback. Um, mm. I think the only the only way that discovery could have been more like prescient because it was made before the pandemic mm. would have been if Charles Vance is like, and for all we know, your ship has thousands of mail-in ballots from Starfleet's Pennsylvania <laughs> outpost. <laughs> so, it's like, whoa, discovery! You called it, Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, we also had the Tikov seed ship, uh, Gavril Adrianovich Tikov. Do any of you know who that is? I mean, I, I can read the rest of the paragraph you have yeah. here. But... <laughs> sure, why don't you do that? People might be sick of hearing from me. Uh, he was a Soviet astronomer who was a pioneer in astrobiology uh, and is considered the father of astrobotany. He worked mm. as an observer at the... Uh, uh oh, Pulkovo Observatory from 1906 until 1941. He was alive mm. between 1875 and 1960. So nice little reference there with the name of the ship. Uh, another one, and of course, by the way, the humans have seed vaults. Do you all do you all know about the human seed vaults? The actual ones on yeah. our planet right now. Mm-hmm. There's one. Yep. Where, where are they? Isn't Spalmard? there one in Sw- where? Underground. Spalmard. In Norway, it's an island. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Arctic. Where's the other one? There's two, right? It's the only one I know of. <clears throat> mm. Let me see here. Because that one, the one that you're talking about in Norway, is specifically placed far away from urban centers. So if something goes wrong in an urban center or like some sort of nuclear explosion or whatever, it doesn't get affected. Low mm. temperatures as well for um, sustenance of whatever's there. Right. right, right. I I'm fairly certain there's like another one in like somewhere else, but I don't know uh, now where. If I I've got some I'm... seeds in my basement, but I don't know how. There's far one that in. Go. It looks like there's one in Fort Collins, Colorado, but I don't know. I just did a quick search. Okay. Um, well, we can we can come back to that. This uh, doesn't have to be furiously Googled to prove not right. Uh, episode <laughs> frequently very wrong so but hey see, speaking of ships being named in tribute uh one of the ships that the discovery passes by is uss 325070 the uss nog that is clearly a tribute to aaron eisenberg who played nog on deep space nine passed away um i think just about a year ago yeah, um, I think so. September? Yeah, it was in September. Um, where was that ship? I tried looking for it the second time I watched it, and I didn't see it. Uh, it's it's one of the very tall ships. Uh, but okay, I, it passes. I, it just, on... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, it just it shows up a few times. I don't have a specific reference okay. to it. Well, one of the times discovery, you get an external shot of I think discovery flying by it, and you see a light flashing yeah. in its registry, and so that's where you can read it. It's not as like it's not like blown up on the view mm-hmm. screen like Voyager J which also shows up, 11th generation Voyager ship. Um, it's kind of interesting because Discovery doesn't actually know about the first Voyager, so they get excited about Voyager. But I yeah. guess they, they maybe haven't heard of different ships having the same number. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe it's thing. our Voyager. 
right? The, well, don't you get the feeling Voyager? that the Enterprise Voyager? is the first yeah. one that they? Well, there was, there was do also that like with? different technology. There was detached nacelles. Uh, what was the other tech that they found? Uh, they, there was neutronium plating or neutronium alloys, which they didn't know was possible. And which completely I also, oh, and organic the, ships. Yeah, yeah the, the, organic the ship ships. that's just entirely holographic bulkheads. That I seems mean, like a terrible idea. No, but it makes sense. I mean, if you if it breaks, you replace it with a holographic bulkhead. Why wasn't it just made out of a holographic bulkhead to begin with? I mean, it's logical, yeah, yeah. right? It, if you got enough power, I guess. Yeah. Did we cover detached nacelles? I, mm-hmm. I mentioned it, but you can talk about it if you want. No, yeah. I want to cover it. We found ourselves wanting them to do like slower shots so we could actually see all the things that they were calling out. Like, oh, yeah, like, I wait, must... we can't see that ship. Oh, wait, I want to see what that looks like. I must see every angle of the of the Voyager. Right. I, well, I if... What was interesting about that is uh, at least from the the first shot, like we got such a close shot of that. I was like, wait, do they literally have the Voyager? But it, like it's a museum ship that we have for, for some reason. But uh, I don't think that that's the case. <laughs> well, it could be the organic one, right? Bioneural circuitry or, you know, in that mm-hmm. in that space. But uh, on that note, I wonder if CBS has, like, Nielsen data on how many people, like, rewound and played that section again and again and again <laughs> just to see what's going on. And then they use that as, like, leads to see if they can expand on it or not. I don't know. I, I, I did it a couple of times. A lot of times. I, I mean, I would watch 45 minutes of just Tilly, Detmer, and Joanna, like, or Joanne geeking out about what they're seeing on sensors like that. I could, I could watch an entire episode of just what we've discovered about Starfleet in the 32nd century. So, uh, we all, one of the things we found out is that EMH in the 32nd century still has terrible bedside manner, does not respect personal boundaries. Uh, Brendan Baser playing Eli, the EMH, who's an AI, uh, in this episode, a lot of holographic characters in general, like the interrogators, who's just smart, right? Like that way you're, you know, if, if they have a joker like supervillain who's like, you want to know how I got these cars? The the hologram doesn't get hurt by whatever yeah. the, the joker pulls. So I, I thought that made a lot of sense. Uh, there was a bunch of little low-key references in the maps that you see in Starfleet headquarters. Did any of y'all catch these before you went to the internet to look for them? So things that were mentioned on the map, Kazon Clan Forum, Talax, mm. Founders Homeworld, Okampa, Federation Deep Space Outpost 36, uh, NCC-173, which is the registry number of the USS Essex, a lost ship discovered in the episode Power Play, mm. uh, the Ankari Homeworld, who are a nucleogenic life forms uh, from the USS Equinox, um, mm. And then the Devore homeworld, capital of the Devore Emporium and Counterpoint, uh, which is also another Voyager episode. Oh, yeah. Zatar, a world with notable lights, according to Antithesis on Reddit. I wonder if that's a little bit of a joke there. Cardassia Prime, Celis, uh, which is mentioned in Nemesis as a potential source of dilithium for the Romulans. Valt, one of the two warring factions in the episode The Perfect Mate. Holly, uh, Klingon world. Silver Blood Homeworld, presumably the Y-class planet from Demon, which is another Voyager episode. Oh, yeah. And then there's just like tons and tons and tons of other names. I just love all the love for Voyager in this episode. Mm. And it is it gives me great satisfaction to see, as, as someone who's introduced to Star Trek by Voyager, to see so many great references. And I hope we see more Voyager, like explicit, like characters or like, species i just would i would love it 
I mean, this is a lot of information. Um, but again, the way they fixated on Voyager for like, I think I counted like five plus seconds. There's got to be a, a story somewhere, right? There, there's, there's just not. Well, and there were some people who were thinking maybe the the ship from Star Trek Prodigy, that young adult show that's coming out, might be like a Voyager A or mm. Voyager B with Janeway as the emergency command hologram, ECH. So hmm. that might be uh, something that happens there. But uh, why, why don't we jump in real quick to talk about our, the different characters? And we've talked a lot already about these folks, so maybe some of these discussions will be a little shorter. Um, Commander Nan gets her... Uh, time in the Sun, Rachel Ancherl, who was promoted, of course, to series regular status in the intro, gets written off, yep. at least temporarily. And I am honestly a little frustrated about this. Yeah, it, uh, it, it, it I don't know, it, it's, this episode kind of wrapped up like, oh, it feels like the writers didn't know what, why she was in this season, because, like, she was even asked, like, why are you in this season of Star Trek? <laughs> and she said, oh, uh, this character that I met for 15 minutes and then died in one episode, that's what I'm tied to. So look forward to when I have something else that happens in 15 minutes and then uh, am written off entirely. So, yeah, it, it just... it. She she seems like it. They, they made her character very interesting this episode, and we just kind of threw her in the garbage. And... And then, and also, like she, she didn't even get to be pivotal in the plot line that we exited her on. It was just like she didn't help the guy move through the loss of his family. We didn't learn about her uh, unique approach to death. It's just like, oh well, someone's got to sweep the floors while uh, the rest of the, of the our term goes for this seed vault. But like, that's just kind of it. Also, why would you leave a seed wall five months voyage from your headquarters? I mean... Like, I, I agree it shouldn't be right next to, like, the Federation, whatever the hell. But, like, you know, headquarters. But it seemed like it's a liability to leave it that far out of your reach. Well, and, it, yeah, it's it's also interesting because it... Uh, at least my initial assumption was that, oh, it's five months away because the burn happened and everything's far as, like, far as heck away and... Like, we just, we can't do anything about it. But it seems like, oh, no, we've been purposely, like, we know that it's fine. And we've had people, like, watching it for terms of however many years it's supposed to be. But, like, yeah, it seems a little uh, remote to leave out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about Commander Burnham, who, hey, look at that. She solved everything for everyone again. Yep. That's nice. Um and I appreciated that Saru was able to bust her a little bit for her desire to kind of contravene the rule of law. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the cutting line, that is a lesson I thought you would have learned by now, Commander. Ouch. Why don't you just pull, out, pull the knife out after you stick it in like that, Saru? Yeah. Um, have we seen Burnham in the Commander's Captain's chair before? I don't think so. Anyone remember that? Because it seemed like a new thing for us to see. Well, I don't think she actually sat in the chair. But it was her first time, like, commanding a mission, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I enjoyed that very much, so so that was fun. Uh, But, yeah, I will share all of your frustrations. Pess previously said that we don't need Burnham to save the day. Can we just have someone else be helpful for once, please? Well, it was like this time they even did let Colbert go down to be part of the mission. 
And then still, he, it's like, so yeah. then and I'm also psychoanalyzing Colbert here. Like, Colbert, what are the issues that you're dealing with that you can't do the things that actually you're the most suited to do and you keep passing them off onto other people? So we have the responsibility hoarder in Burnham and we have the opposite of that in Colbert. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the delegation hoarder? Or... <laughs> <laughs> Burnham's going to end up the new Star Starfleet CNC, like. She just fixes everything for everybody. But, uh, I, I will um, uh, I will say this, though. Um, I will look at Burnham differently this episode onwards uh, and Sonequa Martin-Green differently. And it has nothing to do with this episode. Quick deviation. I did mention earlier that I'm going to talk about um, Aditya Sahil that sort of disappeared and we haven't heard from him. Uh, so I did a little bit of reading and... He he gave a little interview on his first day at the set, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase. Um, on the first day of the shoot, I entered and I saw these people standing in a circle. The director said, "Here's Adil, who's you know Aditya Sahil, his real name is Adil Hassan. Uh, here's Adil. Welcome to the Star Trek family." Everybody looked at me, expecting me to say something. I wanted it to be short, so I said, "I was born born in a small town, um, in." Golpur, Assam, which is a part of India, where newspapers would come in three days after they were published. And here I am today in Star Trek, um, crossing the stars. It has been quite a journey. He says, what happened next would never happen in, in Bollywood in India. The lead actor, Sinequa Martin-Green, came to the center of the circle, asked him if she could hug him, a re relatively unknown actor. Embracing him, she whispered into his ear that she was looking forward to working with him. The boundary broke, he said, between us and we were just two creative people on equal terms. I had one of the best shooting experiences of my film career. There is no feudal residue. There is no ego. So, and I, and I, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I, I it's very difficult. I mean, my views on Michael Burnham, I, I didn't have anything against Michael Burnham. It's just the stuff that we were talking about, right? They, they mm -hmm. maybe try to force her anywhere. Uh, they force her in in places, but... But this was just amazing. And again, this was me festering on not seeing Aditya Sahil. So the actor did say that he will be probably returning to shoot four more episodes in January. So. Okay. Cool. Well, I'm right. glad they didn't All forget right. about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think um, Adam, you were mentioning this in the previous episode as well, uh, recorded uh, podcast, where Star Trek is... We're supposed to challenge the status quo and not just maintain it in terms of um, the human interest angle. Mm -hmm. um, this is an example of that, right? I don't even know if this would happen in, in many um, uh, studios, even in Hollywood, but something like this was... It was good that he called it out. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do love yeah. how the... Uh, it's, it seems like the cast and, and writers of, of Star Trek Discovery in particular are, like, very interested in uh, changing how things are done, like, both, like, in the way that they do them, but then also, like, advocating for, uh, like, general improvement in society. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's great hearing that it's not just in the uh, episodes that this stuff is happening. Well, it's kind of nice uh, that the number one on the, I don't know if they call it on the call sheet or the cast list, Mm -hmm. of subsequent Star Trek series have been much 
um, better and more generous human beings than the original series. Sorry, Bill mm. Shatner. But, you know, like, <laughs> but he didn't set that kind of tone in the original series. And mm. there's a lot of enmity. You know, I mean, they, it's yeah. just not, it's not very pleasant between the original series uh, cast members. But you hear, I, particularly, I, we talked about this before, they talked about Scott Bakula and what an incredible uh, series head he was for uh, for Enterprise. But I've heard the same things about Sonequa Martin-Green, that she is mm-hmm. just like... Anyway, so that I think that's actually part of the reason I like Michael Burnham is because I like her. I like Sonequa Martin-Green oh, yeah. so I, I much. Oh, yeah, I tie a lot of it up together, just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it, it has to be made clear that, like, uh, whereas there was a little bit of frustration about her tying the bow on the storyline, I enjoyed, like... Again, the fact that she was there to provide this little, the same kind of tension Vance was providing, but on the other side, like seeing her command, like it was, mm. there was some great Burnham stuff in this episode, mm. and uh, she's a great presence. And she's so freaking smart. Like, right. <laughs> like, it's, it's, the things in her brain, I'm like, well, I don't know any other person who could pull that stuff up. Th- this is This is better than the like panicky Burnham that like, who, who is constantly getting proven wrong by everybody around her, which is kind of starting to get a little annoying mm. at times as well. So it's it's great that we're seeing seeing such evolution. And her relationship with Saru, again, I'm going to call this out yet again. I'm very excited to see where this goes. I, I enjoy what the writings, writers are doing with it, specifically because, I mean, Saru, you know, he called it out explicitly. He's like, trust the process. I trust that what matters most will endure. He's such an optimistic mm-hmm hopeful person and you can call it by the book but he just seems to be somebody who's um who's you know who who has this outlook of um of almost like things will go okay it's gonna be all right y'all which contrasts burnham's kind of outlook so well so i i think that that's a relationship that's gonna it's gonna go places and i mean i'm gonna enjoy it we, we saw Culber take more of the counselor role in this episode. Tilly Stamets and Reno were around. Shout out to Jet Reno and her desire for snacks. I enjoyed the... <laughs> possibly my favorite moment of the episode was when she has a tortilla chip in her hand. Yeah. And, Salsa. Uh, I'm going to need something to and, drink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I okay, Kayla Detmer, though. There was a scene where people are like, we trust Detmer. We want her. We 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 will trust her with our lives. And I want to take issue with that a little bit. And I wondered if you all would as well. I'm just worried that control is in that that visor of hers. I hope not. Yeah. Oh God, my gosh. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> now they the um the EMH noticed that something was off on her. Like they had they were able to scan her and said your pilot is, you know, is struggling. I can't remember exactly how they worded it, yeah. but they did Her call it out at the end is, of the episode. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think even the, the Admiral is the one at the, like towards the end. It's just like, right. specifically she is having problems and everyone's mm-hmm. like, Oh, well we trust her. Like, no, she, you, she needs help. Like, I, <laughs> I don't, I, don't, any... I don't know that we should just like put her in the chair and be and like just trust that it's all going to work out like it's the American work ethic at work right there what they're yeah. doing I mean it's like who the hell cares if you're not functioning very well you still need to do the job because you're totally in anyway I don't know yeah well, Did anyone... oh go ahead Bill. yeah it, you know it's not it's not practical when you think about it but it's meant to demonstrate a value right that they have in Starfleet and it's like you know in every episode they um where they're faced with a situation where they have to like go back for the stranded crew member 
or where they have to like do something super risky like in engineering and they're like LaForge just do it and then it always works out right every they never go back for the stranded crew member and then everyone gets massacred right <laughs> which you would think would be like a risk if like that's why you don't do that right or like when they do the suit when they like hotwire the warp core it never like blows up the ship even though like it probably well, should if, some of the time if, if right? it does it causes a time loop and then they then that's still fine <laughs> yeah so it always works out fine and so this is like another you know it's like yeah the like it's like we trust you know detmer we trust the crew so much uh we're not really gonna you know bring to bear any kind of practical you know irrational assessment of the situation we're just going to trust her because we yeah. you know love don't worry other. the writers will do us a solid and, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if she has a breakdown yeah. we st- we won't all die so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so could you all yeah. did any of you i i didn't have time to do this but did any of you pause and rewind to hear to see what she was hearing you know because she was hearing voices at that one point when they were getting ready to go was it getting ready to go through the i can't remember exactly when it was, the, it was the, when they were entering the into the Federation area. Oh no, no! During the storm, during the Ion storm, yeah. but she she had this moment where she could hear things playing that were not happening on the bridge. She was having some sort of recall from something, but I couldn't. And there were words that were being said, but I just didn't get a chance to stop it. I didn't know if any of you noticed what was being said. No, I, I forgot about that okay. part after after yeah. it happened. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't catch exactly yeah. what what was said, but I did catch that something was going on, and that was where I was like, "Wow, you know, not a, not only would have Discovery died, that Seed ship would have gone." And after that kind of moment, you know, there has to be other Helms people on Discovery that you could be like, "Hey, we're gonna put you in charge of Shift A now," and Detmer we're going to ask you to train these people and maybe sit next to them, but you need to like, uh, you know, make sure that you're not our like fail safe, you know, <laughs> like if, if you have trouble, like I, I understand like bill with the values, I, I get what, why that was important to say, but like, it's, it's just, uh, it makes me nervous and it makes me like they're setting up a plot point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully it's not that episode. she's going to exit for next episode after like, we we finally learn like the how much how good of friends that she and Joanne have become over the past whatever, like uh. yeah. Um, the by the way the the two actresses who play um, Detmer and Joanne Emily Coots and I I need to say some of these names more so that when they come up I can just like rattle them off instead of having to think and then do an extended monologue about how I'm thinking about it. <laughs> on this podcast it would be great if i did that but i always forget oyen oladejo uh if they if the two of them are apparently friends too because they, they're in a bunch of instagram stories together uh, so oh, nice. it's kind of cool to see see those relationships they're friends developed. in real life yeah 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 it's pretty neat uh we talked about jojo having trouble we uh D- bill you wanted to give discount ted danson <laughs> Uh, Kovic is his name in the show, uh, played by David Cronenberg. You wanted to give him a second or two yeah. uh, of your time. I just wanted to say, played by David Cronenberg, you guys. How cool is that? And I thought he did I, uh, such a compelling character. I thought he was awesome. He's the first person who's been able to put Giorgio in her place. And not like for a second or two, and then she turns the tables. Like, he was like the the 
always in control of that entire conversation. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I was kind of, I, I was kind of, well, not worried, but I wasn't unsure if he had completely reprogrammed her, and that's why she was catatonic at the end. So I, we don't know how that ended <laughs> again, right? So, um, and and Bill, can you can you for those of us who don't know who David Cronenberg is and why we should be impressed, can you tell us a little bit about? Well, he's he's a director, and um, he like he does horror movies that. Actually, if you remember, like, season three of Discovery, like, of the whole series, where they go to the um, the Glen and all the people's oh, you mean bodies. Episode three. Are, yeah. Episode yeah, three. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, episode three. They go to the Glen and all the people's bodies are, like, mangled. And, like, that's, like, something from a Cronenberg movie. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's like getting a, it would be like, you know, like uh, when the Mandalorian had Werner Herzog, you know, in a, you know, it's like getting this super, you know, famous director. Um, and I thought, wow, as an actor, he was great. So, yeah. He says his glasses make him look smart. And that's because of the fact that people are, like, it's true in our world because a lot of people wear glasses in our world. But in a world where nobody's really wearing glasses and you don't have the cultural context for glasses, <laughs> would people still perceive glasses as being smart? <laughs> <laughs> Think about that, won't you? Uh, uh, okay. Well, we we um, had Nielsen taking over the con when the captain ain't there. That's kind of interesting, you know. Like, uh, it's it's. I wonder how she became so senior so quick. I, I think we saw her in the captain's chair uh, one or two episodes ago as well. Uh, just kind of coming off right. of a shift or whatnot. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting and. Uh, it's kind of convenient how in some of these episodes Adira gets something to do early in the episode and then, you know, she's busy. Or I was busy alarmed by that, though. Like, I'm, I don't know. And I think Adira was alarmed by that as well when they said, oh, we're going to take <laughs> you for some scans. And she kind of looks at Michael and Michael's like, it's okay, you know, but I want to know what the yeah, hell we, they did with Adira. Yeah, we, <laughs> so. we didn't establish that it was okay at that point in the episode. <laughs> <No>! Like, yeah. <laughs> she's yeah and they don't the, come back. Yeah. No, you know, I know. We don't know what happened to She's meeting the civilian government and the other admirals. Uh. <laughs> well, but that, I mean, that was the interesting thing about the whole Senatal thing. Senatal died because he decided to look at snow one last time on Earth oh uh, instead of boarding the ship. And I, I enjoyed, like, that was the first chance that, like, maybe not everything was as people expected. Vance was like, Senatal and I were familiar. You and I are not. I was like, oh, man, damn. Yeah. Uh, and that's that. so different okay. from the way um, it, that's so different from the it, way it, oh sorry i just really had mute it's so different from the way it was with um cisco and dax like you know you think so because curzon dax and cisco were friends that kind of laid foundation that it was going to be pretty easy for jedzia dax and cisco to be friends and esri dax and cisco to be friends so it's just interesting that this uh, admiral completely threw that out like well, but it's not going to be any wasn't Je- wasn't Dax a bit of a going against the grain there? Because I I thought that the established um, like you're you're kind of supposed to have a different life and you're and you're not supposed to assume that your relationships because they, they um, well I know with I know with romantic relationships yeah. it's supposed to be that way but I think I wasn't sure if that if, happened for friend friendly relationships or colleagues or whatnot. Well, I, I kind of feel like if you're in Starfleet, you're going to be running into. You know, like you're going to yeah, be yeah. having some common people if you're in, you know, anyway. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they develop the fact that the 
Adira was a very high-ranking Starfleet admiral into into their um, their character. But uh, let's move on to strange new ratings. Who wants to stick their neck out and give this episode a rating first for our spreadsheet? I can get started. Um, I don't know if it was if I'm biased because of what I read about Aditya Sahil, but in general, the return to the Federation. Um, all those call-outs with the USS Nog, Voyager, um, and just entering a space um, where you saw um, Starfleet and the Federation, and even even Admiral Vance, um, was reassuring to the extent that I would go ahead and give this an 8.5. It did have a lot going on, but I think, or I hope, that it is uh, sort of creating multiple jump points for uh, the rest of the season, um, the remaining seasons, and as some of us pointed out, even other series. So uh, for me, it was a, a good traditional, while well, Planet of the Week, a good traditional um, Star Trek episode. And I, I'll go ahead and say, 8.5 flying green forests out of 10. Sorry. <laughs> that is important for the okay, spreadsheet. I will jump in and say, you know, I've gushed about this episode and how much I loved all the different aspects of it. I give it a 9.5. I can watch this one over and over again. First episode, I can say that about from this season. Uh, in fact, I, I really do before the next episode want to go watch it again, even though uh, it's not something that I would be easily be able to do. Uh, So I think I'm... I was going to give this one a four. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I know we have, a, we have a tendency to uh, to adjust our ratings after talking to each other. Like, I don't know that I necessarily want to do that. I, I will appre- I, yeah. I do, I will say, even though I gave it a four, I might, I, I will go back and watch this one again and see what else I can get out of this. Especially, I, I'm interested to see where it goes in the next episode. Um but for me, it was just, uh, it, it felt a bit disrespectful uh, the way that we got rid of Nan. Uh, like, we, we kind of, like, we never established, like, why she was here in a satisfactory way. And then, like, the only story points we got for her were, like, oh, like, oh, there's a really interesting thing about my culture that you should know about. Apparently, we don't want to know about that. <laughs> and uh, the... <laughs> There was just lots of weird feelings that I was getting throughout the episode. And also, I just, uh, my wife and I were yelling at the screen uh, for Saru to stop talking about old Italian painters. Like, he, he, I want to learn something. Like, he seems to only know about old Italian painters and, like, preparing fish in his village. And that's it. Uh, and also, he can speak, like, 90 languages or whatever. But, like, I, I want other, it feels like... Um, Earth is like the United States, and everyone needs to be really interested in Earth history, uh, and uh, we don't care about anybody else's anything. So I, I, I just there were a lot of things that frustrated me with this episode, but uh, yeah. So I'm I'm gonna stick to my guns and, and give it a four. <laughs> Out of hundred or ten? Out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> not not quite that harsh. <laughs> I'm gonna give it four, but four out of five. <laughs> 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 but I, I, although one thing that I, I fear that season three of Discovery has done so far, and I don't mean to throw this, um, this term around, but I just don't know another way to say it. I feel like 
like the other episodes have given me a little bit of PTSD and that I keep expecting it to be really negative. Like I'm, mm. I get, I've been really stressed out for the first half of most of season three episodes and then they get to the end of it and I'm not stressed out anymore and it was all okay. And it was, so I, I don't trust, I don't trust it anymore, I think. So mm. that's kind of, that's, um, clouding my first viewings of the episodes because I'm always a little wary and a little um, unsure of of what they're going to do and and whether or not this is really a safe place for the Discovery crew or if they're being led into a trap or anyway. So I'm feeling a little I'm a little uh, hesitant, but uh, but I did like the episode. Okay, I'll give it a seven out of ten. Net net. I, I thought that the um, the A plot, I guess, where they go to the seed ship was actually kind of mediocre. Um, but I love the Admiral and the way they treated the Admiral and also the storyline with Giorgio and um, Cronenberg. Yeah. Yeah, I think Odin Fire is someone I am low-key very excited to see uh, what, what he's able to do on the show. So that'd be really cool. Well, with that, Bill... Emily, Adam, Rudy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank to, you. To talk about. Thank you, nice. Yeah, thank, appreciate that. Uh, thank you, Rudy. Uh, not Rudy. Uh, thank you, Diana <laughs> Max. Wherever. Well, thank you, Rudy, again. Again. Rudy, you're great. Thanks, also, Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just light us up. But uh, th- thanks, Diana and Max, wherever you all are. Hope you all are having a good time. Look forward to talking Discovery with you all at some point. Thanks to Jishnu Guha. For our theme music, he's got a podcast named Geek Fruit that you can go check out if you so wish. And I just want to thank the Killy refugees who's, you know, without them, Discovery would have no way to prove that they were actually worth it. So thank you, Killy refugees, for not being discerning about what you eat. Continue just to go to uninhabited planet and put things in your mouth. It's, it'll serve you well in the future, I bet. All right, everybody. See you in a week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.